Well, since we've already had one show come back from a long time away, let's go two for two, hmm? This is White Scar's Team Up. Greg, I'm really looking forward to recording today, so let's get into some Spider-Man. <laughs> no, Alejandro. We're not it, doing it, the Spider-Mans. <laughs> we're not? Well, it's. I'm glad to see you, Alejandro, but wait, what? Oh, I've got my, I've got my recording sessions mixed around, so I'm sorry, everyone, how chaotic of me. Okay, that's a better bit than I, than what I had planned. Excellent. Thank you very much. I brought all of my notes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those are all of the notes. I have shed the gag jacket and I'm now wearing the actual uh, t-shirt for today, which is the Chainsaw Man and uh, Power um, Front yeah, and yeah, Center yeah. there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're in a good place. All right. All right. Excellent. We're in a fantastic zone. And this. Chaos. <laughs> I, I will do my level best to not go chaos every time someone says the word chaos. Um, I don't expect much from you. <laughs> I will it, say... Good, um, Alejandro, you're learning. For those of you that are confused as to what is going on, this is a special set of episodes wherein Toby and I are going to be talking with Alejandra about her experience reading all of New Century over 2023, including the most recent Castle of the Moon book that was just released. But Alejandra being who she is, she read the ninth released book first, and then decided to read the rest of them in what we call the Chaos Reading Order, matching up neither with where they fit in the New Century timeline, or with the order in which Alex released them. So, that's fun. In case it isn't obvious, that means full spoilers for all New Century books up to this point. That disclaimer out of the way, let us continue. In the spirit of things, that means that I don't actually have any planned structure for this. Good. this is, to a certain extent, this is literally just going to be the Alejandra show. Like, obviously, we're going to react to things that you say, yes. but you've got your uh -oh. own list of like what you shared earlier in terms of the way things actually came out and the way, in theory, they happen in the timeline and the way you chose to read them. But as far as the rest of it's concerned, you, you know, go whichever way the wind prompts you with, with prompting and responses from us, Alejandra. Because this is not a visual medium, I must say for the record that Alejandra has been making... A cavalcade, a spectrum of finger gestures of contemplation and chaotic rumination. So I'm eager to hear that in audio form. <laughs> okay. Uh, let us... Okay. Uh, I mean, we're going to get started by doing this in the order in which I found out about these books. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not the order I read them, but the order in which I found out about them. I don't remember how I found school movies. It's not important. Point is, you listen to enough school movies, you will hear Alex's ads for his books. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He wrote a book. And then I joined the Discord, and you guys have a whole channel on it. I don't know what New Century is. I didn't realize that was the title of the wider book series. I would look oh, at it and I was like, who are these people? I don't know. Is this some fandom I'm not familiar with? Yes. <laughs> Join us singing hymns of joy, we are following in rows. For they the faithful know the path laid forth will show the way. So bend thy knees and pray. So uh, it eventually got to the point where, like, through just osmosis of listening to the show, I gathered the rough idea that, oh, it's a pre, it's like a retelling of history with, like, portals and steampunk and magic it's like okay i'm down for that 
And then I heard that this one particular book had some lesbians in it. I'm like, <laughs> maybe. You had my maybe. curiosity. <laughs> now you have my attention. Yes. So I did not have full context of what order I was supposed to be reading them. I just had the vague idea that it was kind of late in the series. <laughs> it was not exactly an ideal place to start. But also, again, not a visual medium, but the stack of books, even with two of them missing, is quite at all. <laughs> mm. I mean, what we have here, because Alejandra has just presented her stack of uh, New Century books, is evidence that Alejandra is the better New Century fan than I, because I really don't have a lot of physical books here. I have a couple of canvases, but not actual books. Uh, it's all been digital, my experience of it. So Alejandra has manifested her fandom into more physical stuff, which, as we all know, is how you win. <laughs> <laughs> the person with the most stuff wins. <laughs> no, I'm totally trying to cut back on physical books, too, because, like, for the move, they're just so goddamn heavy. But oh, I'm yeah. making exceptions. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I have moved so much in my lifetime that it got to the point where digital media was just like kind of the way to go because I was sick of having more boxes to move every time I did. I have exactly one physical copy, the Panther Soul signed copy that Alex sent me right around the time that came out. I think he was even like a, a um, birthday gift or something like that. And I'm happy to have it. That's the thing that uh, Maureen read when we were gearing up to do the Behind the White Scars on Panther Soul, but I just, I, as beautiful as the covers are, you know, I want to get to a place, ideally, where we can finally have our own place, and I don't have to move anymore, and then I'll think about actually having bookshelves and pretty things to decorate them with, so... That was too much of a story. Stone Spring Maidens was the lesbian book... So mm -hmm. I figured if there was going to be any book that would get me into the series, it was either going to be the spooky one mm. or the lesbian one. Or the mysterious third option, hot cats. <laughs> um, the hot cats was a revelation, I'll tell you. I only recently <laughs> discovered I'm furry, she says, wonder her pair of ears that she's owned for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I ended up going with the lesbian book just because... I really needed that in my life at the time. <laughs> um, let's, it's just not good pickings out there in the world for satisfying lesbian representation. So, obviously, I did not have context for everything when I started reading Stone Spring Maidens. I knew vaguely at some point there was a big train of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting steam. I was going to okay. say, is this a euphemism? This is not a euphemism. It is an analogy. Maybe. <laughs> Alejandra has mentioned that she was high while we recorded this. And honestly, it's really only obvious now during the edit. But that said, with all love, please, Alejandra, go to. So I didn't know who Harry was. And that was... A little bit of a barrier, but not so much, because now with the broader context, Harry is at a moment of transformation. She's about to, like, uh, change who she is in a lot of ways. So, no, I mean, you you're can't on, to that at you all. You get to go on that journey with her. If I'm recalling correctly, when you were initially reading the book, you had an issue with the original order, where it kept jumping back and forth between Penny's perspective and Harry's perspective. And Alex actually ended up reordering the story so that it told a good portion of Penny's story first and then got into Harry's stuff after. And you were basically then partly responsible for that. Am I remembering this correctly? You are remembering that correctly, yes. Um, it wasn't until near the end of part one that I realized that Harry's on regular Earth and Penny's on a separate Earth that are connected by a wind door. Ah. Like, it mm. took a lot... Like, again, first book in the series, I understand there are portals. That's all I know. <laughs> I don't mm. know where they are. I don't know what worlds we're working with. I know one of them is, like, 
the United States after Lincoln died if zombies showed up or werewolves or whatever you want to call them. Point they're, is, they're complicated. That, that, they're complicated. That was tricky. That was definitely tricky. Um, Penny's stuff is very self-contained. You're just being introduced to this new world. Everyone's like, everyone's starting from scratch there. Mm-hmm. And Harry's stuff doesn't like load you down with a lot of world details necessarily. There's a lot of character stuff that you maybe don't have context for, but it's not mm. like the context is crucial. She's really not handling the loss of her legs and the recovery time well. Mm-hmm. That's very true that Harry is, by her disposition in the other books, and also her circumstance of her, now she's trapped in her sickbed, essentially, she's not seeing a lot of the world. She can't exactly sort of go on a, God, I was going to say, it, she can't go on a walking tour. That's terrible, but also the most appropriate <laughs> term. So but, I did, I eventually noticed that the two girls we're focusing on are going to meet because there was like talk in Penny's world about a portal and there was talk in Harry's world about a portal. I'm like, oh, so this is how the two characters are going to meet. Oh, that's going to be so hot. Penny's going to make her legs. This is going to rule. So it took me like several days of like sessions of reading to like get through part one. And then the moment part two started, I ate the rest of the book in four hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's a good part two. It might be my favorite second act of any book ever because it's just like, hey, here's all this baggage that two characters that you're going to care a lot about are dealing with. And then part two is like, oh, so you exist. Cool. Please help me with my issues. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who doesn't love that? Now... There's not, like, a huge amount of spoilers, I'd say, for what's going on in this book. You know something's going on with Abby. You know the train blew up. But, like, honestly, that's not, like, a huge spoiler. (laughs) The main thing I was absolutely fucking spoiled on was I got to the end of Mr. White's journey. Mm -hmm. Way before I saw the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah. It was a long time before I got to where he actually is in the timeline. But Stone Spring Maiden is so fucking good. It's it's Ah. my favorite book. I keep circling on that. My answer is always, what's my favorite New Century book? The last one I read. So Ah. Castle of the Moon is currently my favorite one. But uh, once I read Nightfall of the Wendigo, just to make certain connections, like that will be my favorite book again. (laughs) And the cycle continues. But uh, Stone Spring Maidens is really good. I have to say, like, the way I was going to frame it is like, oh, Alejandra, you're the one who changed my favorite book. Oh, hi, Alejandra. (laughs) I uh, am so proud of my original copy. Like, I've got that for a couple books now before he changed them. (laughs) Now, here's a question, Alejandra, because given that this was your first New Century book, by choice because you specifically wanted an LGBTQ romance, how do you feel Stone Spring Maidens stands on its own? Because you now have the complete context of everything that came before it, and I know that your brain works a little bit different from even ours who have been doing this for a while. Do you feel like Stone Spring Maidens works as an entry point to the series? It's not an ideal entry point. It is Mm. sort of like if you didn't know what Star Wars was and watched episode five first. Mm. You wouldn't necessarily be lost, but there would be like pretty important skippings of like who this character is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Catherine Holloway. There's a chapter early on where you like see her perspective and she's talking to Mr. White. I was confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's a really sharp analogy you bring up there with, like, just, or a comparison to Star Wars, because my first Star Wars was Return of the Jedi. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I loved it. I actually, like, watched that so many times before I even touched any of the other films. So I do think there is clearly, it's one of those questions that, the answer is almost self-evident by the fact that Alejandra is here. Is this a good entry point into the series? <laughs> well, 
duh, like Alejandra is here. She's still interested in talking about this stuff. But... Yeah, if your question for an entry point is whether it's like a good place to start narratively, usually you just want something from the beginning for that. But if you're if you want your answer to focus on its ability to engage and attract people, Stone Spring is right near the top. And again, I wasn't watching it with no context. This wasn't like I'd never heard of Star Wars and I saw episode five. This is I've lived in the United States. Of course, I've heard of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Even if number five is your first movie, there's more than enough context to keep up with what's going on. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the odds are that you know the reveal of that story before you even watch the thing. So, like, by comparison, the the Darth Vader equivalent here Yeah, is, exactly. I was about to say, that's a great comparison because the reveal of Mr. White is exactly like the reveal of Darth Vader. I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> I also will add that I have you both beat in terms of the weirdest entry point to a... To You're going to say the holiday special, aren't you? No, I'm not going to bring up Star Wars. I'm pretty sure I, my first Star Wars was episode four. Like the okay, but what was your weird entry point? My weird entry point was the first time I'd ever seen anything in Star Trek was Star Trek Three. Oh. oh, I had never seen the original <laughs> series. I had never seen any other Star Trek movie. Star Trek 3 is a weird fucking watch if you know nothing about any of the characters. It's going to be so weird. <laughs> Spock is dead. Oh, no. He's like a red shirt, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> so, Stone Spring Maiden absolutely did get me into the franchise. I think it's a great book. Like, it's my uh, second favorite Mm. of the whole series and like you'd think it'd be my first just because of like how much yes. lesbians and mech fights is my demographic but that's just a, a testament to the quality of number one so at this point i'm in okay mm. and i do the effort to like kind of study up on like what the order of the books is like i looked up the release order and the technical chronological order and I, I realized that I should stop reading books after Steamheart. <laughs> um, Stone Spring Maidens is after Steamheart. I started with it. That should really be the only one I read before I read Steamheart. So mm -hmm. I just, uh, and that becomes like a pivot point. I've got two major pivot points in my order. Steamheart and Back in Time Plus Space. Because Steamheart is the Avengers movie. And Back in Time Bliss Space is a time travel movie. You do not want to miss fucking anything going into a time travel story. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would potentially argue that if you wanted to, you probably could have gone on to Panther Soul, and Panther Soul could have worked in Absentia. I still think that Panther Soul works better emotionally if you have the context of Tiger's Eye, if only for the ending. Well, I got to tell you, part of the reason I didn't go to Panther Soul is because until I read more of this series, Panther Soul was kind of a tough sell for me. Oh, okay. Like, I was not admitted furry at the time, and I do not particularly like Indiana Jones or Nathan Drake. Like, okay. the genre that they inhabit, Adventures <laughs> in Temples, fucking down for that. Mm -hmm. But... Being specifically Indiana Jones, and I know Alex likes the Uncharted game, so like, or being like Nathan Drake was going to be kind of a barrier for me. We'll get back to that. Yes, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go on to part to the second one. Yeah, the second one I went with was Let Them Go, which was my other consideration for first book to read, just because it's short, it's self-contained, and it's spooky. Honestly, it probably should have been my first book, but I can't say I would have gone in with as much enthusiasm mm. as I did coming out of Stone Spring. Stone Spring made me excited to see more of the world. <laughs> because you had something you were working towards. Like, you knew you were going to get to this point, and you knew that Alex wasn't just going to slow down on the gay inclusion. He was going to just find more ways to include that in all of his books moving forward. So... Yeah, yeah and like there's like character mysteries I'm interested in. Who's this Abigail girl? Gotta go back and figure out Mr. White's whole fucking deal. <laughs> mm. I mean, this this is a hard question to answer, but do you think you would have seen everything with Mr. White coming if you hadn't started with uh, Stonespring? Or do you think that was like 
Uh, that is a tricky question to ask because I'm a terrible uh, forward predictor. Mm. That's just a really, I'm, I don't activate my like, where are these characters going to go given the clues I have brain very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason I like mystery shows because <laughs> uh, it makes me, it forces me to turn that part of my brain on. Oh, interesting. But um, yeah, if I'm just like for adventure and romance stories like these for me, I'm just along for the ride. All right, uh, so let them go, which is okay. Yeah, let them go. Long setup, very long setup. Uh, I can see why Alex put that Wendigo scene at the start because, mm-hmm. like, you really can just be like, man, there's just so much about this girl's family. It's all good, mm-hmm. but like, I'm just waiting for Wendigos to show up. <laughs> oh my god, it's arachnophobia. <laughs> <laughs> just out of curiosity, because I'm not sure that we've ever talked as much about this genre in general i know you like horror spiced media alejandra but do you like specifically gothic stuff difficult to say Mm. i absolutely adore uh guillermo del toro Mm -hmm. and i like this book and i like many things that could be sort of gothic adjacent but i've never really dived much into the actual gothic Mm -hmm. i would say it's something that i have no real like preference for or against I don't know. I read Jane Eyre as a kid. Um, yeah. I also I also read The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's supposed to be gothic, right? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. That was kind of I mean, sad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of gothic that is specifically is sad. And when we're talking about, we got into this whole conversation where I'd never really thought about the gothic genre all that much prior to ah. reading Let Them Go. And in the process, learning more about like, yeah, okay, so it's partly the setting and it's partly the the spooky houses, but it's also the angst and the complicated relationships. And the complicated relationship, man, like I said, the beginning part kind of drags because it's will shit. It's like who left who to what and uh, mm-hmm. what, what did dad do? He was real disappointing dad. I wasn't really enjoying that, but... The extended flashback to Rebecca, like, falling in love with her eventual sister's fiancé? Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking and yes. so sweet, so good. And then once the house is, like, properly under siege, I'm like, oh, this is so good. So it's not like I, I need there to be less drama in this book. It's just I can kind of feel, like, the timer counting down when we're just, like, going through wills and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when are they getting to the fireworks factory? <laughs> After Let Them Go, which was a very brisk read, uh, I got into Tiger's Eye. That one was just one y'all were talking about a lot. I think it's because Maureen had uh, come into people's lives. Maybe? I don't know. This was a while ago. <laughs> no, no, actually, now that I think about it, no. I, we, I think we covered the entirety of Tiger's Eye on Through the Window before interviewing Maureen. That's confirmed. March 2021 was a pretty busy time. We released the first part of our final two episodes on Tiger's Eye on March 5th. Toby and I interviewed Maureen on the 6th. Over the course of the next 20 days, we released part two of our final look at Tiger's Eye, both episodes of News of the Century Panther Soul Edition, and both episodes of Maureen's interview. And for those of you that weren't there, The second part of her interview was when I revealed that we were in a relationship by then. Tiger's Eye already meant a lot to me, as the episode The One, which would have been recorded before the interview, got into some serious stuff on how emotional that story made me. But I had no idea how much Maureen would mean to me after that, nor how quickly she would stake her claim. At the time, we were trying to time it such that uh, we would get Maureen on before we were finished with Tiger's Eye, and we managed to get her just at the end, just because it took her so long to actually respond to Alex's uh, request to to get her on board. Uh, so weirdly, like the timing is... And Tiger's Eye was very affecting for me for reasons that I got into plenty at the time, so the context was already there. I could not have predicted the synchronistic connection me and Maureen would end up having. 
It certainly was a surprise. I remember, I hope that this is not oversharing, but I remember you sending messages to me just sort of like wanting to kind of talk to someone about uh, the fact that you were like, you had been talking with Maureen after. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then it's like, and yeah, then it got to this. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> Lucky bitch. <laughs> I'm going to share with her that you said that. Um, Tiger's Eye was was highly recommended. I'm pretty sure Alex gave me one of those Bandcamp codes for it Mm -hmm. before I got to reading the series. Yeah, dude gives his stories away. He really does. (laughs) (laughs) It's raining codes. (laughs) Anyway, didn't listen to the audio. I think I listened to like a couple chapters. Maureen's got a really good voice. I prefer the books because, uh, again, I can just shove them directly into my eyeballs, forget to breathe or eat for five hours, and then get on with my life. <laughs> and and is that sort of like your general like preferred mode rather than oh my like, god, I'm to... such a binge reader. I, it's actually a problem because again, I will not do my job. I will just read the book. <laughs> I will take book with me to job. I will not do job. I will pretend <laughs> to do job. <laughs> So See, it's... I can totally sympathize with that. But the thing is that currently I also have a job where I'm spending so much time just waiting for the work to come in. So I will glom onto anything that will keep my brain working while I'm just sitting there doing nothing for hours on end, sometimes for an entire week if it's that fucking slow. But I will add that Alejandra... You're probably quicker read than I am. Yeah, I got through Castle of the Moon in like three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Look, she owns more physical books than we do. She reads the books faster. Like, let's just give her the podcast at this point, Greg. (laughs) We have to bow out gracefully. So Tiger's Eye is another book that kind of started a little slow for me just because the whole like early setup world building with Prow is slow. The wording style is a little odd and it's mostly descriptions of flora and fauna because Alex was pretty inspired by um, Avatar. Mm-hmm. That's that's cool. Uh, I'm not impressed by what my imagination can conjure. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it starts a little slow, but then Miguel shows up and it's immediately kicking. And then we get to the silent one and I'm like, this is great. And then her ex-husband tracks her down. And then it goes into the, like slave trade segment of the book which was a swerve yes yeah i like, remember I getting thought to that. we were on a silly goofy adventure uh, no 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 silly goofy adventure is princess thieves until it isn't anymore uh, yeah yeah <laughs> look, look hey do you want to do castle of the mood it's a fun sort of castlevania-esque romp we promise we won't break your heart i know i said that last time but come on You trust me, don't you? (laughs) Trust Alex Shaw, but don't trust him too much. I'm going to get that tattooed at one point, just like, you know, memento style, just like. The the slave trade stuff was rough, but like, I liked how it ended. Mm -hmm. I love Prow and Miguel. They're my favorite pairing of characters. And uh, then there's Penny and Harry, who are my favorite couple, which is different from pairing of characters, obviously. Yeah. So Tiger's Eye was real good. And then I was like, all right, I got like two more books canonically before I can get to Steamheart. I guess I'll do Arlington next because um, conceptually the idea that like a major player in like current politics at the time was like a married black couple. Mm. Fucking ace. That's a pitch. Okay. <laughs> Arlington ended up being one of my least favorite books. Um, mm. This was a this was a case I can definitely say of my read order kind of hurting me, because I knew who Thomas Arlington turned out to be, mm. and <laughs> that made the journey have sort of like a crushing inevitability. I could watch them plan. I could watch them be a great married couple. I could watch them try and pull things together. And I just, I I knew it was all for naught. There was no moment of hope for me with those two. I mean, you had the additional context and that you know the eventual fall of Thomas Arlington, but doesn't the book itself sort of set up that inevitability even if you hadn't already read Stone String Maidens? 
Uh, it didn't necessarily have to happen in that book. And again, like it, it's setting up that Thomas has like a somewhat frightened worldview, like a protective shell worldview that his wife helps him get out of. And that like, you know, that's obviously like two characters with like bouncing types. Alex loves writing that shit. And it's fun to watch people do that in books to balance each other out. So I'm thinking, all right, so how did he end up this guy who's willing to murder babies to protect the world? I'm like, well, obviously his wife died. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. And that is the difference between, you know, going into Arlington in the first chapter or the prologue saying, this is the story of how Arlington died, where, you know, the book opens with that. And obviously that's a sort of proclamation of doom, but as we all know it was true from a certain point of view and like we go into it with that feeling that that might be the case and also the wording of it never makes it apparent that it's anyone beyond Thomas Arlington really the tragic death of that is Sarah Arlington Mm -hmm. so and Alejandra went in knowing that Sarah was not going to be a player in future books so that does change the flavor of that. I do think that that fundamentally changes the experience of it. But there's also a symbolic aspect to it, obviously, because yes, Sarah Arlington dies. Yes, we are meant to think within the context of the book itself that Thomas is also dead. But if you say that the man that Thomas was is also dead and white is what is left, then again, that adds a double meaning to that whole context. Right, it's the, uh, from a certain point of view. Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Arlington, and again, Arlington is a good book. I gave mm. it four out of five stars instead of the usual five out of five stars. It's just not one that I overall enjoy, not just because I was spoiled on it, but also because, like, I'm not super invested in how they're going to, like, make the government better in this fictional world. Because either they're going to succeed and I don't have to worry about the details, or they're going to fail and I don't have to worry about the details. It's a book. It's not reality. (laughs) Well, because it was in this order, let me ask an additional question here. How did it feel, Alejandra, to have this be your first experience with Frank and Annie. Now that is a, that is good because um, Frank was a character who never really clicked for me until like very late in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie, of course, is fine, but in a similar way, here's the thing with Frank and Annie. Where we meet them at the start of the series, they are kind of at like the zenith of a previous adventures character arc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm. obviously this journey will change them, but they've sort of like hit a point where they're like, they have figured their shit out. You are right that like Secret Rooms almost comes across like they're running like a, a sort of tabletop campaign and then like <laughs> James and Abigail are like, you know, joining the, new the party. Players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then but, like um, Frank so... has to go away from town for a little bit. So he it's like, okay, you guys go on an adventure without me. It's fine. <laughs> So um, Frank and Annie are absolutely fine, but I do love the adventure that Annie goes on to like get information about Seth, or obviously they didn't know he was called that at the time, but the point is they were hunting something, and oh my god, what an introduction to Seth. I adore the scene where he just offers Annie, hey, wouldn't it be nice to not have to think so hard anymore? I'm like, yes, yes, sir, yes, I I think it would, yes. How did you know? (laughs) Is Seth just doing that meme of just like, don't you hate being polite all the time? Don't you just want to go ape shit? <laughs> he kind of is. He's kind of is. So I mean, Arlington, Arlington for the most part was just kind of like a, a speed bump for me. It slowed me down. I got into Secret Rooms because it was like the last major one before Steamheart. Uh, Secret Rooms, I read the special enhanced edition where he took like a huge chunk out of Steamheart and Mm -hmm. shoved it at the beginning of Secret Rooms. Good choice, I'd say. Yeah. Because that opening segment with their children is so good. (laughs) It's really good. I I said this in our coverage of Secret Rooms at the time that coming back and looking at Secret Rooms once it had a sort of turbo super edition now featuring Dante from Devil May Cry. It went from a book that I was like, 
yeah, it's fine. It's sort of new century finding its feet to, oh, no, this is legitimately great. This is kind of like I put it on the same sort of playing field as I put a lot of the others, which is, as I say, my favorite book is the one I just read. And like cartographer's handbook is never really going to be one that like even if i've just read it i'll go yes this is this is as good as it gets because like i mean i want to meet the person whose favorite book is cartographer's handbook i really do but uh, <laughs> yeah no secret rooms definitely benefits but i am also, hijacking this so well, well handing I, back control the one thing i want to add osp just had another one of their trope talks specifically the theme of welcome to super school ah. The addition of these chapters in the enhanced edition, it basically turns the beginning of Secret Rooms into Welcome to Apocalypse School. <laughs> and those opening chapters are great. Like, I can't even imagine the version of the story where we meet them as adults first. Mm -hmm. Especially um, James. James is so much better when he's a child and hasn't locked every fucking emotion in a box. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Uh, again, adult James... I do kind of struggle with in the beginning when he's at his most buttoned up. I am the Spock of this series. Mm -hmm. hmm. So wait, wait, you're saying that James, after encountering trauma, locks up parts of himself. Wonder where he got that from. <laughs> Put it in the box. <laughs> <laughs> now, son. You know what we do when something bad happens to us? Uh, I oh, don't know, Dad. Oh, lip, young lad. <laughs> and we find the nearest witch and we bargain with them. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to bring the duck. <laughs> oh, dear. So uh, Shake the hand. Oh, oh, and the opening has children exploring polyamory. Fuck yes. Um, I knew that wasn't going to go well. Like, I, like, let's just put it this way. Even in the scenario where Lucy did not wander off like a fucking idiot, I think their version of polyamory was probably going to be fraught. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it always is. Yeah. Yeah. A, a their kids. B, like, polyamory might deal with some of the problems that our society has in regards to this obsession with specifically pair bonding. But whenever you involve more than one person, that means that there are even more personalities conflicting with each other, meaning more communication is important. It just adds complexity and complexity see, can be good. You, and you bad. seem to be speaking from some uh, trauma. <laughs> maybe, maybe just a smidge there. Oh, we never talk of we never speak from our own trauma on this podcast. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. You don't ever do that. I'm sorry. Re retracted. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I will just Abby? say before we uh, get off this point because I feel like this is a good thing for future editor Greg to include as an audio <laughs> clip here. There's a pro ZD sketch which is just like you know the solution to all romance anime or something like that where it's like. Tomoko, I love you. I... I... But Tomoko, I also love you. But now two of us love you. Who will you choose? Why don't we all just... fuck each other? You know, just... one big fuck pile. Yeah, okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. And so anime was solved forever! And isn't then... That, isn't that just the yelling bird uh, meme? And then everybody fucked! <laughs> it's it's almost that because after after they go like yeah okay sounds good to me you just see he like hard smash cuts to an old man who goes and so anime was solved forever <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay uh, back to secret rooms abby abby as an adult was also a little I'm frustrating adult. She she was cuz like I I kind of knew about Abby from like uh Harry's like memories but like actually seeing Abby in like in motion in the start of the story was like calm down girl did you have too much coffee this morning um so the middle part of the story which would have been the beginning of the original story was kind of like okay so these two adults who have a lot of uh growing to do Sure are at the start of their growth journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Abigail and James are probably, like, 
they're that one awkward uh, zombie comic where it's the last guardian and it's just like you know what no like stop doing it and the main character is just really irritated at the dog for just doing uh, everything it does because of course it's going to do that that's its nature and you're just looking at James and Abigail doing that and then the last panel is just this like character with so much frustration saying I love you so much oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so it kind of starts a little rough, but then, like, we get to the Krieger household, and you're like, okay, this is uh, kind of a neat, spooky house thing, and then, oh my god, Krieger just goes on a huge philosophy dump, which the characters are actively listening to and being, like, like trying to absorb this madman's ramblings. <laughs> Secret Rooms probably goes on the most swerves, right? Like, as a story... Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a combination it's like, hey. of many different things at the same time. Are you saying um, it's many boxes, you son of a bitch? And it no, that's that what I you was, say. I, I was reading all of it, and I was like, Krieger, my God, just shush, my dude. Let someone else talk. But it was all like legit. Like it was all fascinating to actually sit and think about. Yeah. Wonder what his deal is. Yeah, I wonder where he was going with all that. And then, of course, there's the spooky haunted house thing with the um recording format which i could tell was more intended for the audiobook and mm -hmm. yeah it was better in that way <laughs> yeah alex started to really write more for like the books i think from really i would say let them go onwards was because that was when he started to write the entire thing first before doing any audio work and you know it doesn't get in the way of uh, some of them but yeah, Secret Rooms is probably the one that suffers the most because there's like an entire segment that the format is structured to the original intended. It's the script for a radio play. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, so Secret Rooms ends uh, really good. And again, I hadn't actually been like fully brought up to speed on like what the eyes were. So like I knew there were portals and I had like a couple flashbacks about the portals being made. But this was like, oh, okay, so that's how we got there. Like, it was a, there was the start to a journey that I knew existed. So what did and, you read after that? Okay, well, so after that, coming off of Secret Rooms, which even though I enjoyed is not my favorite, and Arlington, which was a little rough, I'm like, I looked at Steamheart. I looked at this fucking behemoth. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I need something fun before I tackle ah, this. Ah, <laughs> okay. That, yeah. that explains why you jumped to Princess Thieves. Okay. Yeah, I jumped to Princess Thieves... Because, like, uh, of all the ones that I'd heard audio clips of, it was the one that sold you on it the most. Because it's mm. funny, it's snappy mm. dialogue, it's great. You're like, oh, this is... Like, you hear it and you're like, oh, this is um, the, uh, the Princess Diaries. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. it. I, get, I get what we're doing. It's great. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually seen the Princess Diaries. Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking of the Princess Diaries. Princess Bride? Princess Bride, thank yeah, you. Okay, right. yeah. I was about to say, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the Princess Bride. I know what that is. I'm in. Let's go. And it was mm. so good. I love the whole little, like, super fast uh, adaptation to, like, orcs and dwarves that went on in England because they needed an aristocracy. Mm -hmm. Like, what a fucking commentary on Britain. Yeah, sure, they'll go along with two whole new species if the nobles say to do it. <laughs> I mean, we'll still be horribly intolerant the whole while, but, you I know. I mean, that Yes. <laughs> but you're doing us the favor of giving us someone that isn't us to be intolerant to. Great, oh, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Give me those, Akka. Yeah, hell yeah. There weren't enough black people around. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, my God. You know it's Yeah, true. Princess Thieves yeah. was meant to be the funny one, right? <laughs> it was meant to be the funny one. And it's all in the writing. I love uh, Gwendolyn's whole thing of, like, fuck this princess shit. I'm going to go punch people. It yeah. was so fun. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, in Four Worlds Collide, I think the one interaction we know is going to happen is Gwen and Abigail. Because that has to. I, I'm more to. looking forward to how everyone handles a leopard or a jaguar that punches. That's going to blow their mind. <laughs> <laughs> Princess I, Thieves, uh, I mean, it's a great fucking cast. 
there's that bit where Robin reveals his tragic backstory. It's so good in both versions, like in the text and in the audio. I've listened to it by now. It's just so good. And it doesn't, like, kill the rhythm. You know, the band is still playing the same. They've just changed the key. Mm. Oh, gone from a major key to a minor key. I like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the characters are still the characters. There's still snappy dialogue. It's still, like, Merlane and the Nag are still doing their thing. But it's serious now. (laughs) Also, that kind of puts the eventual conflict that happens in Scarlet's place into context because everything's depressing by that point and even Mortimer is feeling it. And then Gwendolyn walks in, punches out Mortimer and Mortimer's just like, oh, there we are. Now we yes. can get back to oh, the earlier man. vibe. I thought I was in a drama there for a second. <laughs> because Mortimer encounters Oberon first and is basically like, come on, I want you to do it. I want you to hit me. Like, stop judging me. This is... I don't like this. I can handle when someone is trying to punch me, like, but I can't. I don't like judgment. Oh God! And the I'm moment so where Gwendolyn pulls that. the fucking sword is so fucking funny. Mm. It's so good <laughs> every it's time. So like, I read it and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so funny, and it like it is funny. And then I hear the audio, and it's like the music kicks in after like a really awkward pause. <laughs> It's like, um, oh, yeah, sorry. Dramatic music. Yeah, hang on. We were getting warmed up. <laughs> and what a way to take what has to be a foregone conclusion. Like, you know, obviously Gwen is going to pull the Master Sword. Of course she is. I mean, it's but, on the like, cover. We know it's going to happen. I, I, hey, 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 hey. It wasn't at first. I was oh. there when it was releasing. Uh, that artwork uh, of her was just her hand upright in a sort of, yeah, I want to punch some fucker. Uh, yeah, uh, it's there on the book cover now. It wasn't when I was there, when I was listening to like chapters as they were coming out. You t- you weren't there. I'm j- just gesturing wildly to both of you when the final, uh, when it was saying like, hey, we're doing the thing where Gwen is going to marry the person she doesn't love and Robin is going to be executed. And then Alex did the credits and it was like the end of the book. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's a downer of an ending. <laughs> I just I just want to say for a second there, that was a real Aslan moment there. It was like, do not speak to me of the deep magic. I was there when it was spoken. Uh, Don't tell me it didn't happen. I, I saw it happen. <laughs> Oh, and shout out to Alex's performance as Gwen's uncle, whatever, the dwarf who, like, uh, tells her oh, about her lineage. Coriolanus? Coriolanus, yes. Yeah, his performance as Coriolanus is so fucking, like, chillingly controlled. Because mm, <laughs> I, I know you, we've had enough conversations now that that kind of guy, you hate that kind of guy. You, like Fuck that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let me just detail with this itemized list all the ways I'm going to ruin your life. <laughs> mm. I mean, all I can think of is that, like, asshole dad in uh, Molly's game. Uh, oh, like... oh, God. <laughs> Way to bring it back to previous Alejandra content. So Princess I, I Thieves was do. so fun. I loved it to bits. And I went out of my way to listen to the audiobook of Christmas Thieves by itself um, before I got into Steamheart. Christmas Thieves is also a joy. I love the nag at the end being like, come on, we have to do the happy ending. I know I'm the curmudgeon, but come on. I don't care what timeline shenanigans you have to pull. Also, that's great. I love how we get an explanation of how Merlane can see the future. It's just that she goes there at some point and has to make sure she does that in the future. Otherwise, bad things happen. Great, great time travel detail. Fucking ace. I mean, it's very, if I'm recalling it correctly, it's a very Bill and Ted's excellent adventure way of looking at time travel. Just got to remind ourselves to do it later. <laughs> Remember a garbage can. <laughs> just, no, like, just the, like, Valet and the nag with his hooves going, excellent! <laughs> <laughs> so then I get into Steamheart. Steamheart is a lot of setup. It's a lot of different characters. And, like, it's not a bad or slow opening. It's just so much. And you're like, there's so much book before we get to train buddies. Then we get to train buddies and it's so fucking good. We get to Miguel and Rao and on the train with the buddies and it's so fucking good. It's like, yeah, you definitely want to see the purple tiger and Miguel, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wait till halfway through the book. <laughs> ah! And then, yeah, of course, the book has its dark turn moment. 
And like, uh, it's violent, it's scary, and it's really rough for the heroes. But more than anything, I think what broke my heart was like the characters having to explain to Harry that racism is a thing. Mm. Like more than anything, that one really fucked me up. That like, obviously her going through like the process of like pretending to not be dangerous at Green Hollow and her fucking dad blowing her legs off. This is a spoiler cast, by the way. <laughs> Great time to bring that up, Alejandro. Really just <laughs> getting it, in ahead of anything. All of that is obviously bad and damaging to her psyche, but like more so than anything, that like having to pull back the veil on her ignorance as to how the world actually works in a way that is undeniably better for her mental health. <laughs> yeah, and after she's had her, like, you know, her first love, her first crush, her first whatever with Abigail and all of that, and it's just sort of like, it, maybe it's like that experience when you're a teenager and things are really good for a bit, and like I'm, I'm getting in twists because... Yeah, it wasn't all sunshine and roses by that point. A, they're living in the apocalypse, and B, she had found out her parents were dead. So, you know, Harry goes through a lot in that book. After you had read Steamheart, how did that kind of feed into what you saw and knew in uh, Stone Spring Maidens? It was, it was definitely added some, like, weight to those, like, scenes of being trapped with her in the darkness. And unlike in Arlington, where I felt like the guillotine coming, it felt less like that. I couldn't really put my finger on why, because, like, I, I guess it's because I knew that, like, even with the bad things happening, the good times were still there and can still be hung on to. Yeah, that's the thing, is that, although obviously nothing has actually ended yet... Stone Spring Maidens is Harry's happy ending, but Thomas doesn't get a happy ending. Mm -hmm. So, Steamheart's very long and a very good book. <laughs> yeah, we we are very aware of how long it is. We've been talking about it for two years. <laughs> we haven't even finished talking about it, and honestly, we keep on getting distracted from talking about it because of how difficult part four is to get through. Distraction I, kitty. <laughs> yes. I blame Alex. I blame ourselves. We, yeah, he, we, how dare he drop a book in the middle of you talking about his other book? I know. We would, <laughs> we have to talk about your other books. How dare he drop a book that garners so much desire to talk about it on top of the other book? That's the bigger problem. It's, I don't know if Alex knew just how far we'd end up going down the rabbit hole dissecting Castle of the Moon. But that's for the end. I will tell, say this about Castle of the Moon. It's not my third favorite book. It is one of my three favorite books of New Century. It is like mm -hmm. now up there with like Panther Soul and Stone Spring Maidens. Like Stone Spring Maidens is still like, if you put a gun to my head, the one that I lock in as my favorite. But as a trio, those are my three where it's like, this is New Century to me. These are your books to go for. Yeah. So after Steamheart, um, that was, again, my first pivot point in the order. Once I was through Steamheart, I could do whatever I wanted in Phase 2. Mm -hmm. And considering I started with uh, Stone Spring Maidens, I really only had three books until I was ready for Back in Time plus Space. There's really only so weird you can get with the or reading order of three books. Mm -hmm. So I listened to Cartographer's Handbook next. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Just finally going back and reading the founding document that had been referred to in at least two previous books, but that you didn't have context for. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I just went to back her, to Cartographer's Handbook. I listened to it in audio form, and it was, it's fine. It's definitely neat yeah. that it's a thing in the world. And, like, so the bit where you're like, oh, Abby or uh, Annie was reading this to people, and it inspired them. It's like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is military propaganda, though. And mm -hmm. no, thank yeah, you. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we, we definitely get into that. In, in our own discussion of it, yeah. It, it's also, I think, the closest that Alex's literature comes to that whole philosophy that you would see in something like, you know, people describing with Game of Thrones, where it's like, ah, it's meant to represent history and how people would actually talk at the time and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, this is... There's some moments in this where it's kind of hard to just either read or hear someone utter 
certain words and it's yeah. just sort of like you know and the fact that it's like not done in a moment that's meant to come as like emphatically dramatic like you know this is the core of the book is it's someone reciting something and then it's done by the person writing or dictating it matter of factly just casually throwing it out there and you just go like I love those old timey slurs gotta yeah. love them <laughs> do we though nope do we <laughs> no it's always been one of the more difficult like i get it but i'm glad that there isn't more of that were there any high points for you i enjoyed some of the um stories like the accounts of people's like surviving mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really it. I don't really remember them particularly well. Maybe someday I'll listen to it again. I don't know. (laughs) Um, What, how did you find after this sort of comes full circle to like, you know, the, who the fuck is Catherine moment? Uh, How did you find Catherine's account? And I'm actually a bit squiffy now on whether this, the full story of her life before everything came in the definitive edition of Secret Rooms or in, in the Cartographer's Handbook. One of the few drawbacks of having been a fan this long. Toby is remembering that Catherine's story was in the original Secret Rooms, but removed from the definitive edition, which was the only version I read prior to Through the Window. Her whole story of just like marrying this guy who then went off and then he became kind of virtually catatonic and uh, then everything about like finding him by the tree and all of that. I don't know. It's um, I like Catherine Holloway, but mostly because of what I remember from Secret Rooms. If anything, from Cartographer's Handbook has sort of merged with my Secret Rooms memory. I'm fine yeah. with that. <laughs> that. That does sort of happen, uh, especially because I think when the definitive edition of Secret Rooms came out, Alex kind of compiled all of the extra chapters into like a secret lost new century book just called Weirwood. And that one was just kind of like, hey, do you want to just read the new stuff? Here's what I've added to it. And it kind of, rather than sequence breaking the flashbacks to like everything with them as kids and with Lucy and her ultimate fate, where you hear most of that at the beginning, but then you hear the second half of it at the sort of start or end of one of the middle acts, I forget. It like puts it all together. So it sometimes gets a bit skewy when you find out this or that, but as you say, like, you know these characters now, you've gone into it. You are staring into my soul right now, Alejandra. <laughs> yes, and... I you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's fine. I, I'm just kind of out of things to say on Cartographer's Handbook. So, I've got Uncivil Outlaw, I've got uh, Nightfall, The Wendigo, and I've got Panther Soul left. And we'll find out what book she went with next next time on White Scarves Team Up. To close us out, there's no way I could come up with something meaningful for the Chaos cast. So let's have something fun and bouncy to match Alejandra's energy. A piece of work I only know about, thanks to Willow Shaw. Everybody pose.
Thank you.